It is Monday, November 23rd, and this is episode one of the Davy Diaries. This, I don't even want to call it a podcast, this audio diary is going to cover just my thoughts. I think that it's important to write down how you feel, what you're feeling, because a lot of the time it's really hard for us to quantify those things in our own minds, right? It's difficult for me to think about exactly what I'm feeling in a particular time, mainly because I was never taught how to do that. You know, I feel like emotions are something that you consistently just experience, and they're not something that you have control over. They're not something that you necessarily can control. Because it is their nature to be something that is felt inherently. It's not something you really see coming. You know, you can understand if something will make you angry or upset, right? But when it does happen, when you do become angry or upset, I don't necessarily think you have the ability to rein, rein that in, you know? Some people do. I've definitely seen some people do it. Like, for example, LeBron James, right? If he's playing in a game seven, he can't let the pressure fuck with his jump shot. You know, there are people who have the ability to control their emotions significantly better than others, but I think in life there's this expectation that you need to be able to keep calm under pressure. You know, that people who are healthy have the ability to consistently rein in an emotion when they find it to become explosive. In one direction or the other, whether that's crying horrifically during a movie right? Watching a walk to remember and just sobbing. Uh, Andy Moore, why? Or, you know, beating your wife, right? Like, there are lines, okay? And I'm not saying that people should be able to beat their wives, but what I'm saying is that the people who do ultimately probably had such a fucked upbringing that they never understood that that was just something that is completely inappropriate and something that is going to fundamentally damage the relationship with the thing that they're harming, you know? And the reason for that is just because that's just something they saw. And so when it happened to them, they didn't think of doing anything about it. You know, it's how you feel is so defined by how you were raised and in what environment you learned how to be a human being. You know, if everyone around you was volatile, I don't understand how you could not be volatile. It's tough. It's a tough thing, you know, but I'm rambling and I should better note, if you're listening to this, I hope the value that you get out of it is either one of joy or one of shared grief. And you feel free to laugh at it because I think that that's important. But what I think that people should focus on is, you know, I want this to be 30 minutes to an hour where you're thinking about somebody else and you're not necessarily wrapped up in your own ideas because while that is really important, it can also be incredibly unhealthy. You know, and I'm doing this so I can at least try to take the time to understand what I'm feeling when I'm feeling it 
and today I'm feeling a bit melancholy. You know, it's COVID. I had a job for a year. I was laid off last week. That shit sucks. You know, and, and I'm not that old of a person, but I got a family, you know, and I was laid off from a job that I really enjoyed, but not one that like I found value in, you know, personally. It was just a job, you know, but it was a job that I enjoyed in so far as it was easy. And it was something that paid me really well, gave me the ability to take care of my family. And now I don't have it. You know, and it was one of those jobs that I got lucky or how I got into it. And now I'm really scared that I'm not going to be able to find something else that gives me the same ease or comfortability or the same, you know, clout, monetarily speaking. And that is a very scary prospect, but... Makes me think about all the other fucked things about society, you know? Uh, there are people who live in America who literally have grown up on government cheddar and don't even have the idea of what, you know, provolone tastes like. And they just continue to get cheddar. It's a no fault of their own, right? It's not the fault of somebody who who's raised in an environment in which they weren't taught how to succeed nor were given the opportunity to do so and in a, in a way that wasn't destructive to their own lives right like and in america you are that is that is the formula the formula is get fucked by your circumstance and hopefully you can find a way to untie yourself from this knot that you've created by the time you're in your you know or late teens it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense that there are certain people who get to live in Ivy League houses and then go to those same schools and then just continue this cycle of growth. It's, it's, it's familial monopoly. And while the idea that you need to have your kids be in comfortable positions is something that I understand because I am a parent... It's also something that I understand is going to be destructive to the progression of not only my, my son, but anyone else that has to interact with him. Because the more comfortable that he is, the more power that he necessarily will gain. You know, the more comfortable that you are in life, it, the, the, the more successful you have the propensity to become, you know? And sure, there are people who are hyper-successful who come from incredibly volatile backgrounds, you know, and a lot of those people are some of the greatest artists, right? But very few of those people are Jeff Bezos, are Bill Gates, you know what I mean? Are Mark Zuckerberg, the guy who invented Snapchat. Like, those dudes all come from, like, middle-class families who kind of treated them like a little shit, you know what I mean? Tommy! You gotta do the dishes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm gonna fucking shoot up a school! It's those people. Like, those people somehow get so powerful. And it's because of the familial power that they're given. Because they, their families, got went down the same pathways. It's really, really hard for me to contextualize those kinds of advantages in the context of my own life, you know? And I think that's ultimately the issue when we just throw this moniker of, like, white privilege onto, like, everybody 
that you see, you know, a little bit of background about me. My mother is, you know, not white, a, a Middle Eastern immigrant, you know, grew up in a household that, you know, where my dad was gone in another state, but he was white and he was very successful in computer science, had the ability to fly me back and forth. But my mom lived in, you know, a shitty town in LA and we lived in a duplex for, you know, from when I was a small child all the way to when I was a teenager and none of my family spoke a language I understood because my dad refused to let my mom teach me because he thought that it was too ethnic. Such a fucking dick move. You know, and that impacted me because it made me feel isolated. Because I couldn't talk to really anyone else other than my mom. And my mom was this, like, very boisterous Iranian woman who, you know, Iranian parents are incredibly critical. And as, you know, somebody who was growing up, I was definitely overweight. My mother would take that pain out because she was feeding me all this dog shit. But she would take that out on me and just call me horrible names, you know, say I'm a piece of shit, that I was going to die early, all when I was like eight. (laughs) and that in and of itself like you know isn't the worst thing in the world like I'd rather deal with that than malaria if I'm looking at a sliding scale of of punishment but at the same time it's, it's really intense you know so that was the environment I grew up in but like going back to this white privilege thing like my white privilege is the fact that I don't necessarily look you know, like my mom, I look a lot like my father, so as a result, like, I'm definitely white passing. And to that extent, when I get pulled over, I'm not necessarily afraid I'm going to get shot. You know, I've never had a cop draw his weapon on me. And that's just not something that people of different colors who get pulled over have to deal with. But the response to that should not be, you know, there's something that I have to change right? It's like, it's analogous to telling every little person to recycle and not expecting like these giant conglomerates of corporations who dump toxic waste into the fucking mouths of baby alligators all over the fucking con, all over the goddamn world. Like, as if I'm going to make the difference, you know what I mean? I'm not the person who establishes white privilege. Like, that's the ultimate myth. Like, racism isn't established by the people. And the reason for that is because people aren't still racist. There are institutions that define what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And that's called society and political correctness and government. And people change. But for some reason, we consistently throw like white privilege onto every other person and expect them to be the solution to the issue, which they're not. Like, you can't have divisive language in politics in this day and age that's going to result in people getting mad at each other. Like, you need people to be mad at institutions, you know? You need people to be angry at the institutions that perpetuate this cycle. Because just like it takes place on the familial level, gaining power as middle class into rich and then, you know, becoming the Zuckerberg or the Bill Gates of the world. The same goes for corporations and for government. It's cyclical. The more successful it is, the deeper ingrained you're going to get into the fucked up nature of it and the more and the more light is going to bounce off the walls. 
I just don't understand why we continue to allow these cycles to go on and we and we don't question it. Like, why is it that AOC and Elon are angry at like people that you know talk to them on Twitter or are angry and use language that's relatively divisive to everyday people as opposed to just getting angry at the institutions that perpetuate the knowledge that is required to feel this certain way. Right? Rural America is still racist because they don't have access to the privileges that being not racist gives you. You know, they, they, they don't have access to it. They're dirt farmers. And for some reason, we expect them to just suddenly, like, not hold these beliefs to be self-evident. Because it's the only beliefs that make them feel better, and they're caught up in the familial cycle. They all are fucking poor as shit, and they're losing their jobs left and right, and as a result their anger and their frustration like they can't point it at themselves and if they point it at the government that's actually causing it they're just going to end up killing themselves dude that's too sad like that's too sad of a prospect like the people that i voted for are fucking me and i've been fucked my whole life and you want those people to suddenly change their minds about how they feel when they live in fucking trailers like they're not gonna do that man it's just so interesting to me You know, it is the fault of the government, and it is the fault of our representatives for refusing to acknowledge the actual problems that take place, right? Like, why, why do you, number one, why do you need a law degree in order to represent yourself in a court of law? Like, if I need to find, be found innocent of something, I need to be able to read thousands of documents and have access to a fucking clerk and get paid half a million dollars a year? Like... That's such a fucked concept. And it affects everybody. Like, there are things that affect everybody that people are totally down to get with. And if we gave those things to people, you'd have less racist people. You would have less people who would be complaining about right privilege. Why? Because privilege would then be spread equally. Why do I support Bernie Sanders so much? Because he supports everyone. He wants everyone to be better. He wants rural America, the same people who are trying to vote for Trump, he wants them to have free healthcare just as much as he wants every fucking Seattleite. You know? And I don't like people who are racist. I don't think they deserve the light of day. I don't think that they should get the privilege of being brought out into the light and for some reason they, yeah, 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 now we have to break bread with them. I don't believe that. What I do believe, though, is that if I want to get out of the cycle that continues to allow those people to exist, I need to give one of their family members some kind of benefit. You know? And maybe UBI is the answer. Maybe Yang Gang can do it. I don't know. But I just think that... I'm feeling today like... There needs to be a shift... In the way that we think about the world. In the way that we think about problems. In the way that we want to attack them. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. That's a really philosophical. It's not necessarily hilarious. I, I've been getting a lot. I've been getting intrusive thoughts about embarrassing experiences that I've had in the past. So I'll go ahead and tell some here. I remember once. I was at work. I had like a fresh job. I was 24. I had a clean cut suit. 
I was like just trying to impress people it was a sales role but it was actually a call center like there's so many corporations who want to flower up their bullshit where like they're like you're going to be reaching out to clients and you're going to be negotiating and you're going to get this much commission and you can make this much $45,000 a year and la di da di fucking da and ultimately you're in an office with 50 plus people all on headsets and it's called a fucking call center and it is hell on earth it is it I would compare it to a VR experience of two girls, one cup, because you know that's coming. Everybody knows that's coming. There's going to be a time when you're going to have a virtual cup and you're going to be looking at two girls, one cup. It's going to be a two girls, one cup VR experience. It's going to cost money and people are going to post it on fucking Twitch. And it's going to be like one of those things where, see if you can get through this. <laughs> you know, VR is going to get so intense that you're going to get people who are just going to go through the most disgusting accident. Like BDSM is going to get take a whole new level. It's going to be fucking nuts. But anyway. I was in the office. And I'm surrounded by all of these people that I don't know. They're all talking. And I'm trying to impress the new people. You know, because I want them on my side. And at the end of the day, after talking and being relatively obnoxious, I fucking go up to like these three people and I pretend to trip. But here's the problem with pretending to trip. Most of the time you actually trip. You know, if you if you pretend that you trip you're gonna trip in front of somebody, 90% of the time you do that, you're gonna fall on your fucking face. You're gonna fucking have a bloody nose and people are gonna laugh at you and not with you. And that's exactly what happened, minus the blood. Like I didn't bleed at all, but I fell oh, in the office in front of all of these people trying to act cool. And sometimes that thought comes to me in the worst possible moments. Like, I'll be trying to make like a right, a risky right turn at a light. <laughs> you know, I'll be, I'll be like, there'll be cars coming down the road. And I'm like, ah, but it's red. I can, I can make this right. And then all of a sudden I'll think about like, remember that time that you tripped in front of all those people and your fat ass almost bounced off the concrete like a Super Bowl? <laughs> Yeah, don't make this right turn, <laughs> you know? And I don't know if that's my self-conscious or if that's something in my brain that prevents me from experiencing butterfly effect catastrophes like crashing my car. You know, if I didn't have that intrusive thought at that time, do I end up dying? You know, do I, does my life end up being incredibly different? I've been watching Hannibal recently. God damn, that show is fucked up, dude. Like, there's a certain level of gratuitousness that... I don't know if really adults should be... Like, I, I don't understand why it's so fascinating. You know, I don't... There's this one scene where a girl is literally placed onto staghorns in an attic. Like, she's play And CBS aired this. Like, there's no... And this is not even the eating people scenes. But, like, places staghorns... There's this girl on staghorns, and this guy, the whole entire premise of the show so far, I'm three episodes in, so I'm not going to judge it yet, but the whole premise so far is that this one guy has the ability to put himself in the situation of killers so he can catch them, you know? <laughs> and I don't understand how that's any different from your standard detective. Like, how is that any different from a guy who's just like, well, based off the blood splatter, he clubbed her in the head in this way. 
You know, this guy's got to get all emotional with it. He's like, this is my design. I'm going deep. This guy had daddy issues and a small dick, and he came in here because this girl had, you know, thick eyebrows. <laughs> and then hit her on the fucking side of the head in this room, as you can see by the blood splatter. It's so, like, the fuck? Like, why? why what does this guy give you that other detectives don't? It's like... He doesn't really give you anything other than the fucking sickness of going through the entire act. <laughs> it's so stupid, and yet it's such an interesting procedural. Like, what does Sherlock Holmes do? He looks for extra clues. What does this guy do? He doesn't need any clues. He creates the clues because he recreates the crime. <laughs> stupid. Stupid. If I was the exec in that building, you'd have to give me an eight ball of coke for in order for me to even think of that idea as a possibility. Like, how does somebody look at that and say, you know what, that's what I want to do. I'll tell you why. Because they, they threw Hannibal Lecter in it. And he's like, yeah, and he's going to be working with Hannibal Lecter the whole time. What? What? Hannibal Lecter? Tell me more. And Hannibal Lecter, I got to admit, is played by Mads Mikkelsen, who, you know, pulls this role off perfectly because Mads Mikkelsen is a fucking gangster and he could play anybody but he plays Hannibal Lecter so well to the extent that you almost like him but like you watch him kill these people and literally cook organs you know how good of an actor you have to be to be like alright Hannibal Mad, we need you to play this role Alright, I'm with you so far. I like Hannibal Lecter. Anthony Hopkins did a good job. He's like, yeah. You know, but do you think Anthony was likable? No, of course not. He wasn't likable. He was fucking sick in the head. It was creepy as shit. Yeah. We want you to do the opposite. In fact, we want people to look at you and idolize you. Hmm. I'm... So I'm the protagonist of this show. No. We're going to have probably three scenes with you throughout every episode. Because we're going to focus on this other guy who's so crazy that he fucking... That it makes you want to beat him with a crowbar in order to restart him like a computer. But, like, we want you instead to be the main villain. But the most likable person. Huh. Alright, I can do that. And so all they do is they give him an accent and they make him look hella fancy. And that makes me think about, like, that's all you need? Like, all you need in life, you could be literally eating and cooking people. And as long as you have some nice clothes and a fucking accent in America, everyone's going to think you're a great guy. Everybody, that's what it says about the United States. Like, if I've got an accent, as long as it's not, you know, fucking something that's like, it's got to be a, a white foreign accent. It can't be, like, other accents don't work. You know, like, Middle Eastern accents, people don't like those. They just don't. Like, my mom had one her whole life, and people, like, did not like it, you know? But UK accent, Irish accent, Scottish accent, motherfucking, you know... Uh, Spanish accents, French accents. French accents some people don't like, but some people did. 
You know, some people like the French accent. I've heard of it. But, like, at the same time, all you need is to look nice, have an accent. And people are gonna think that you're awesome. I just don't understand why that's such a low bar. Like, that's the lowest bar, you know? I just don't get it. Like... It's frustrating. But anyway, that's all for today. That's Davy Diary episode one. If you guys like this podcast, feel free to follow on Twitter. You know, uh, I don't know my Twitter handle right now, but I will soon. So follow me right here and, uh, you know, I'll come out with episode two on Wednesday. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to be coming at you with these diaries. And it's just going to be mostly trying to keep my thoughts in line. Thanks.